And I was listening to a, a preacher, a guy from Manchester who I've met a few times, uh, called Glenn Barrett. He leads a, a big church in Manchester called Audacious Church. What a name for a church. Audacious Church. That's a big, bold name right there, isn't it? Uh, it was a big church in the center of Manchester. But he was saying that for... Uh, they were building a new bridge over, there's a, a big canal runs into Manchester, and for two years or so they were building this big bridge over this uh, canal, and it caused traffic chaos as everyone was diverted down these little side streets and alleyways, and it was just chaotic. But then after about two years, the bridge was constructed, the bridge was finished, but there was a problem. The council and the construction company fell out, and they couldn't decide who was going to maintain the bridge. And so the bridge wasn't open. It was completed. But because of this dispute, imagine the council having a dispute. Between, because of this dispute between the council and the contractor, the bridge was closed. And so everybody was still stuck in traffic until one day a white van man had enough. And this white van man pulled up and he went live on social media and he had a, a GoPro camera on his head and he had a GoPro camera on the front of his white van and he pulled up and there were cones along it and he pulled up and he said, folks, I am sick of the delays, I am sick of the obstructions, I'm sick of all of this, I'm going to move the cones. And he gets out of his van and he moves the cones to one side and he gets back in the van and he drives from one side of the bridge to the other and he gets to the other side. He gets out of his white van, he moves the cones to one side and he drives on and he turns to the camera and he says, folks, the bridge is now open. <laughs> and that day the cones disappeared and they've never returned and people have been using the bridge and nobody knows who's paying for the maintenance but it doesn't really matter. I thought that was a brilliant story. I like, that's the sort of story I like because it's the sort of thing I would do if I'm being honest. I love the, the audacity. I love that there was obstructions in his way but he wasn't willing just to settle for it the way everybody else was. He wasn't willing to look and go, well, I guess we just can't because there's cones there. No, he was willing to push through what was standing in his way and push through to get to the other side. He wasn't willing to say, well, I guess that's just the way it is. There's nothing I can do. No. He had the determined, persevering uh, decision to push through. And today's message is called this, aggressive faith. Aggressive faith. And I chose that word deliberately, knowing it's a little bit provocative because it's not a word. And aggression is something that we normally see as bad. But hopefully by the end of today, you will see that at this time, in this era, in this season, at this time we're living in in our world and in your life, what we need is not a passive faith, a wishy-washy faith, a well, if it's God's will, maybe it'll happen faith. We need an aggressive faith. And I believe that's what God wants to put with in us. When I talk about faith, we can talk about what we believe. That's our faith, the Apostles' Creed. We can talk about putting faith in Jesus. But the sort of faith I'm talking about today goes beyond that. It's an aggressive faith. It's a faith that removes the cones, removes the barriers, gets in the white van and crosses the bridge. That's the sort of faith I'm talking about today. Look at Mark 5 with me, verses 21 to 24. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. 
please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. So Jesus has crossed the lake. That was the time there was a storm. He delivers this demoniac, this guy who was so demonized that even his demons had demons. And then he comes back across the lake and already there's this crowd waiting for him. There's people waiting to get something from Jesus. Wherever Jesus went, people showed up because the power and the presence of Jesus should attract people. It shouldn't repel people. (laughs) When Jesus is in the house, people should want to be there. Which makes me wonder why so many Churches are in decline. When Jesus' presence and power are in the house, people want to be around him. People want to be in the building. People want to be in the room. And there's crowds gathering around him. But one man is singled out, and he's called Jairus. And we're told he was a synagogue ruler. In other words, he's well-known, he's respected, he, he's kind of like the local pastor a little bit. People know him, people know his name, people know his family. He's one of those people that they kind of look up to. And that's why when he shows up, even though there's a crowd, they move out of the way, because Jairus is coming through, and Jairus needs to get to Jesus. You know, it's funny, over the years, I don't wear one anymore, but I noticed over the years how the people look at me differently when I'm wearing a collar. A clerical collar. People sometimes take a second look. I remember in hospital one time I, I, I was visiting and a doctor came in and he, and he was quite rude to me and then he turned around and he went, oh sorry I didn't see the collar. And I said, and the Jewish religious authorities. And yet he's coming to Jesus. He's coming to the one that they're already thinking about. How can we get rid of this guy? Why? Because we're told his little 12 year old daughter is dying and when your little child is ill there's nothing that you won't do sure there's nothing like we know that as parents when your child is in trouble there's nothing that you won't do and for him that means going to Jesus because he has heard about Jesus and he might not particularly like Jesus but he knows beyond a doubt that Jesus can do something to change this situation. I love, look how, look how look the certainty of his words. He, he, he has total faith. He says, my little daughter is down. Please come and place your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. What faith? Not that she might. Not that there's a chance. Not that, well, we kind of, there's a possibility. No, if Jesus, I know that if you come with me and if you put your hands on my daughter who's about to die, I know that she will be healed and she will live. That's already an aggressive faith. That's not a passive faith. That's a strong faith. There's desperation. And the desperation pushes him and towards Jesus. And sometimes it takes that in our lives, doesn't it? I wonder would he ever have come to Jesus if he wasn't in a desperate situation. And sometimes God will put us Or we'll find ourselves in desperate situations because it's the only way we will come to Jesus. It's the only thing that will push us out of our passivity and out of our self-centeredness. And we will go, I I have to go to him. I have to go to him because there's no other option. And it says this, Jesus went with him. I love that little phrase. Jesus went with him. He didn't have to, but Jesus went with him. And Jesus goes with you. Jesus goes with you. Jesus goes with you under wherever you're going today, wherever you're going this week. Jesus 
goes with you. No matter how messy, no matter how complicated your situation is, no matter how long it's been like that, Jesus goes with you. Look at verse 25. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. It's funny when Luke tells a story, he just says nobody could do anything for her because Luke was a doctor. And he's kind of protecting his own crowd of people. Nobody could do anything. It's not that the doctors were at fault. Nobody could do anything. But it says that she had tried everything. She had spent all she had. In trying to get better sometimes, and trying to deal with the stuff in our lives, we'll go anywhere and we'll spend anything. And it doesn't work. And this woman, it tells us that that the crowd is pressing around Jesus, that Jairus is there, that Jesus is moving with Jairus. There's a crowd there and this woman starts to enter the scene. There's noise. Everybody's rushing and pushing, trying to get something. And there's someone else in the crowd and, 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 and they have their own need. It's, it's, it's not as urgent. The little girl's dying, don't forget. And actually by the time, spoiler alert for another time, Jesus gets there, she's dead. This woman has been bleeding for 12 years, so it's not as urgent, but it's just as desperate. The King James calls us the woman with the issue of blood. The NIV just says that she was subject to bleeding. She'd been bleeding for 12 years on the inside. Isn't it strange that we're told later on that this Jairus' daughter was 12 years old and that this woman has been bleeding for 12 years. Have you ever noticed that? One of those little things in scripture that makes me go, why would they tell us that? In this small community, 12 years before this, as new life entered the world and Jairus and Mrs. Jairus had their little baby girl, as they were celebrating across town, there was another woman who started bleeding. And as new life was coming in over here, life began to drain out of her. And as that child grew up, this woman became more and more weak. And as this child grew up and developed and became uh, mature, and ho- th- 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 this woman felt more and more like an outsider. Because in those days, the Levitical law said if you had a bleeding, discharged like this, you were ceremonially unclean. You couldn't go into the synagogue or the temple. You were excluded from public life. Anything or anyone you touched was unclean. It affected your ability to interact with other people. It affected your relationships. It obviously affected your intimacy. This woman was an outsider. She was an outcast. She felt shame. She felt dirty. She felt disgusting. And it's draining the life out of her. But somehow she hears about Jesus. And she pushes through the crowd. She's desperate and she knows that Jesus is her last hope. Twelve years is a long time, isn't it? To live with anything for twelve days is long enough. Twelve years? You sort of give up hope. You know, it's funny why it says twelve. I wondered... I don't know if this is, 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 is 100% the reason, but 
12 in the Bible is the number for government. It's the number for um, uh, dominion. 12 disciples, 12, uh, 12 tribes of Israel, and the 12 shows up the whole way through the book of Revelation. And I wonder if by using the number 12, it's in this now completely governed and dominated her life. That this, uh, th- this issue... This bleeding issue now had complete control. Every decision she made now had to be based around this issue. Can I go here? Does this issue allow me to? Can I do this? Can I meet him? Can I see her? This issue. And some of us know what that's like. Some of us have issues that dominate our lives. Some of us have issues that, that actually we have taken on the identity. You see, we never actually find out this woman's name. She's just the woman with the issue. Jairus, we find out his name because he's important. This woman, she's just the woman with the issue of blood. She's a nobody, he's a somebody, but they both have something in common. They're both desperate. And desperation doesn't care about your position or your status in the community. I know millionaires who are desperate, and I know people who are on the dole who are desperate. Because suffering and pain and heartache don't discriminate. They don't look at your postcode or your bank balance or your job and go, we'll not go there. Everybody we know has some area of desperation in their life. There's some place in your life and in my life that we just can't fix ourselves. That we've been living with it for a long time and we're struggling with it and it's not changing. Where is that place in your life? Where's that place that you would say, God, I need you to change this right now. This is controlling me. This governs me. This is, 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 is affecting me longer than it should have. Where are you most desperate? Maybe it's been going on so long, and the longer it goes on, the more hopeless the situation becomes. And yet, like this man, like this woman, you still have some faith. Some faith. You believe that Jesus can heal you. You're just not sure if he's going to. You're not sure if he will. And this is where aggressive faith comes in. This is where we get out of the white van. This is where we move the cones to one side and this is where we drive across the bridge. And we say, I'm not letting anything or anyone stand in my way. I'm getting what I came here for. That's what this woman had. She had an aggressive faith. I have a friend, John. Actually, some of you have met him. John Scott. He was here a number of years ago preaching from Glasgow, real Glaswegian. Alan Scott's brother. And uh, I heard Alan tell a story recently about there was a, a... a preacher in Glasgow who was well known for laying hands on people, you know, and, and just impa- like impa- an impartation of the spirit. And John, John Scott wanted this. So John went to the meeting in Glasgow. And John, if you know, he's, he's, he's a wonderful guy, but he's very Glasgow. Like, he's like Robsy Nesbitt's child kind of thing, a little bit, you know, only wears designer clothes. Um, Loves his designer clothes. But John goes to this meeting and he, he has to go to work later on that. He works in a, like a, a home for troubled children. And so he has to go to work and, but he wants this guy to lay hands on him and pray for him. But the preacher, as some of you will understand, prattles on and prattles on and keeps going and keeps going. And an hour and a half into this, John is just getting, because he has to go to work, but he's here because he wants to get hands laid on by this guy. And so in the middle of the meeting, while this guy's preaching, John gets up out of his seat, walks to the front and stands in front of him. 
And the man looks at him and goes, what do you want? He says, I want what I came here for. And the man says, yeah, if you wait to the end, we'll pray. He says, no, I have to go now. I want what I came here for. I want you to pray for me. And the man moves to the side and continues to preach. And John moves over here and stands in front of him. And the man's getting frustrated, which is kind of interesting because he was known for joy in his ministry. Um, but, but he keeps moving and John keeps, John just is obstinate. He just keeps moving from side to side. And eventually the man is just out of frustration, just puts his hand on John and says, get what you came here for. And the Holy Spirit touched John powerfully that night. And I love that story. Because he had an aggressive faith. He was willing to get in the way of whatever it took to get what he came for. Look at verse 28. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. This is my worst nightmare. Too many people. Too many crowds. I don't like crowds. All these people are pushing into Jesus. She arrives. She shouldn't be there because she's touching people by the crowds being there. She's touching people. And if they knew her, this is well, it's a hidden issue. Because if they knew what her issue was, she could be stoned. She was touching them. And by touching them, they were becoming unclean. But she doesn't care. She needs to get what she came for. She has a mission. She has a goal. And she's all out of options. And she says, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. That's the one thing she wants to do. That's her only goal on that day. I am going to push through these people and I am going to grab hold of his robe and I am going to be healed. How did she know? I don't know. There's no story before this of other people. There are later, I think other people heard about her later and it says everybody was trying to grab his robe. There's no precedence for this. Some people think that there's a verse in Malachi that talked about healing in his wings and the robe was also known as wings. I, I, don't, I don't know about that. But she somehow knew in her spirit, in her soul, in her heart that if I can only grab hold of him, something in my life is going to change. Look at the certainty again. I will be healed. I will be healed. I will be healed. Faith has a definite and a specific goal. Something you're pressing into. Something you're contending for. Something you're praying for. Not, Lord, would you just bless all the children in the world. And Lord, be you in Ukraine. And, and uh, bless my family. Amen. And we wonder why we don't see any change in our lives. No, there's a specific goal. There's something that she is going after and she is not going to let go until she gets it. She is like a dog with a bone excused upon, but she is not going anywhere until she gets what she came for. I remember the first time I met my wife. Actually, it was the second or third time. I'd met her at Summer Madness. But a friend of mine was dating her, brought her to a meeting in, 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 in the Jethro Center in Lurgan. Afterwards said to me, what do you think of her? I said, just so you know, if you ever break up, I'm going to move in there. He laughed, I didn't, they broke up, and you know what, I commiserated with him for all of 24 seconds, and then I was on Bebo, Bebo and my future wife, and you know what, she tried to play a little bit hard to get for the first month or two, but I wasn't letting go, I was tenacious, I was persistent. I was stubborn. I was determined. I wasn't a stalker, but I was close to it, okay? I was close to it. Because I had a specific goal. You know, in the summer even, we were up in Port Stewart and 
Oh, shock there. And uh, one day, there was a climbing wall down, you know, where the little park is at the top of Port Stewart. There was a festival on that week, and there was a climbing wall there. And uh, we, we, we went down to it, and we said, uh, what time are you here to? And they said, four o'clock. And we said, oh, that's great, because we had tickets for the rope bridge, and we had to go to the rope bridge. And, and we said, we'll be back before four, and Elijah was so excited. Old. I mean, the rope bridge was great, but he really wanted to do this climbing wall. So we got back at 3.30. We come down to where the climbing wall is, and a woman with, uh, comes up to us with a, 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 like a bib of vest on, and she goes, sorry, the queue's too big. It's to shut it for. Uh, we've cut off the queue just right in front of you, so Sorry. And I looked at her and I looked at my son's eyes and I said, sure, we'll just stand here. And she went, no, no, you don't understand. The people who are running it have told us that they're closing at four and they've told us we have to cut off the queue here. So sorry, you may as well go. And I said, I, 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 I was pleasant. I said, I understand what you're saying, but we're just going to stand here. And then somebody else came over and they went, we joined the queue a minute ago and you told us we couldn't join it. And the woman said, yeah, and I'm telling them not as well. And I said, I know, and we're just going to stand here. And they said, well, we're going to stand behind you. <laughs> True story. True story. True story. So the woman who told us that obviously didn't know what to do, so she goes and gets her superior, who you know she's superior because she's carrying a clipboard. And, uh, and uh, so Miss Clipboard comes over and she says, I'm afraid it's probably told you that it's actually it's closing at four and we can't let anyone. And the, and the queue stopped right in front of you. And I said, yeah, your friend did tell me that. And we're going to stand here. I mean, what was she going to do? Like she could beat me with her clipboard. She could call the police. Like what was she going to do? And, and so she kept, and she said to the people behind me, uh, we know you were here a minute ago before them. And, uh, and they said, we're going to stand here too. Now, they were a little bit more nervous than we were. I've got to be honest. They were expecting all sorts of terrible things to happen to them. But, but, uh, but, but, and so every two or three minutes, they would come over and go, we don't know why you're standing here. And I go, that's okay. We're just going to stand. What harm can it do? What harm can it do? I don't know if we've got the photo off at Mal, do we? But look, my son got on to the climbing wall. Why? Because I didn't take no for an answer. Some of us give up way too easily. We don't get what we ask for immediately and we think, well, this is never going to happen. I may as well go home. No, God sometimes wants you to persist. He wants to see how much you want it. I wanted it more than the people who had already left. I wasn't willing to take it. I came for something and I wasn't going home until I got it. And that's a picture, I think, of how God wants us to approach him with faith and prayer sometimes. God wants us to be persistent. He wants us to have an aggressive faith. Look at what she kept saying to herself. I If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. I have only one goal. I have only one mission, and that is to touch his clothes. And she wasn't going home till she got what she came for. Nor was she going to be put off by anyone. Most of us are too nice, too polite, or put off too easily. We're too passive. If it's God's will, it'll happen. Nothing God has for me will pass me by. We've all said things like that, haven't we? 
Really? What about this? What about this story? Because Jesus was not going to look at this for this woman. He was passing her by. The miracle didn't happen because Jesus initiated it. It happened because of her aggressive faith, her determination, her perseverance. We have this thing that we call faith, and it's like if the Lord wants it, it'll happen. Can I say to you, that's not faith, that's fatalism. That's kesara, sarah, whatever will be, will be. When I look at, read the Gospels, almost every single miracle, almost every single miracle was not initiated by Jesus, it was initiated by somebody else coming to Jesus. If they had had the attitude of, well, if it's God's, what will happen? None of them would have been healed. This woman would have bled for the rest of her life and died. Nothing would have changed. But she knew that God's heart is for those who are wounded, who are sick, who are broken, and who need healing. And she knew that if she could just get to Jesus, she would be healed. Some of us give up way too easily. We need a bolshy faith. We need an aggressive faith. We need a faith that believes yes, God is sovereign, but in his sovereignty, he has delegated a huge amount of authority and responsibility to us. That his sovereignty is not an excuse for our passivity. His sovereignty is that he wants to partner with us. In his sovereignty, he said, I give you dominion over the earth. There are things that will happen that if you do and pray certain things, it will not happen if you don't do and pray certain things. It is not uh, for the Lord. To, you know, There does come a time when we do surrender things, yes, into God's hands. Absolutely, we've done that. But let's not just at the first sign of a no, at the first sign of obstacles, at the first sign of opposition, at the first sign of barriers, go, well, it mustn't be the Lord's will, I'm going to give up. No, sometimes God wants to see just how determined you are. Our actions matter. Our words matter. Our prayers matter. Our prophetic decrees matter. God, save us from polite, pious passivity that stops your kingdom coming and your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would Jesus even tell us to pray your will be done if it automatically happens? It doesn't make sense. When you pray, say your kingdom come, your will be done. Well, does that not automatically happen? Why would I tell you to pray that? Your prayers make a difference. In case you hadn't noticed, our world's in a bit of a mess right now. This is not a time to be passive. This is a time to push, to press through, to, to, to persevere, to persist, to claim his promises, to, 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 to proclaim his word, to wrestle and grab hold of God, unlike Jacob in the story, to say, I am not letting go until you bless me. I'm getting what I came here for. Jesus said this in Matthew 11. The kingdom of God suffers violence and violent people take hold of it by force. That's a verse most of us don't have on our fridges on a magnet. And yet it's, the same as the, it's exactly the same authority as when Jesus said you must be born again. Jesus didn't say when you see a mountain pray about the mountain. When you see a mountain go well. I guess it wasn't meant to be. He said, speak to the mountain and say to that mountain, move now and it will move. He said, ask, seek, knock. They are active words. They are not kesarasara words. And I want to stimulate you and motivate you and inspire you this morning to start getting more aggressive in your prayers. 
If we are going to see God's kingdom come in this place, in this community, if we're going to see God move powerfully, we have got to be a people of aggressive prayer who don't just settle for whatever the enemy throws at us, but go, no, that is not God's will. That is not God's best. Can I tell you, two, three Monday nights ago, I got a call to say that a 38-year-old man in this church had had a stroke, and George and I got on the phone, and I can tell you we didn't go, Lord, if it be your will. We prayed. We prayed over the phone. And can I tell you, while we were praying on the phone, it went from there's little hope he's going to have to be rushed to the royal to something has shifted. And the guy got home two days later. The reason we don't pray passionately enough is because we're not passionate. If that was your child, if that was your husband, your son, you would pray. We're not passionate. Pray for what you're passionate about. Get what you're passionate about. Don't pray always for what you think. Yes, there's things we should. But find what you're passionate about. Find that thing that has to change, that you cannot stand it any longer and say, God, I'm not moving until that shifts. When we were up at the vineyard working, my wife led an intercession group that taught how to pray aggressive. You've, you've never seen my wife really pray. Like I come home sometimes and I'm like, what are you doing? She's stomping around the house and she's anointing everything that moves that doesn't move. And she's just sometimes tears there. And she, she prays. She prays. And so twice over that year, she took a group of women and she, we're going to do this here for in the next few months, women. So, and if you're interested, I know the men have got their weekend, all this stuff. This is for the women. Any women who want to go, we didn't, it's not a small group like the others, it's going to run for four or six weeks, something like that. Where my wife is going to take a group and go through this stuff. How do we pray for our families? How do we pray for our husband and wife? How do we pray if we don't have a husband and wife that we'll get a husband and wife? How do we pray through? She did this in the vineyard, just by this anomaly. And I'm going to get this probably slightly wrong, but not that far wrong. There was about ten in the group. And about, just by this strange thing, Eight of them had, seven or eight of them had children who had bed wetting problems. Am I right? At way beyond that age of they should be wet in the bed. Like, way beyond that. And so they decided this was what we're going after. This is what we're going after. That our children will stop wetting the bed. And within that five weeks that they met together, I think there was seven or eight of them. Let's say eight, okay. Eight of them had arrived with this problem. Seven of them had completely stopped wetting the bed. And one of them, it was significantly reduced. Why? Because they had a goal and they were going after it and they persisted and they pressed through until they got what they came for. Jesus told a parable about a woman who somebody comes to their house at midnight and she's got no food and she goes next door neighbor and they won't get up and it says she keeps beating the door down until the neighbor gets up. And it says this, because of her shameless audacity, the neighbor got up. Shameless audacity. That sounds like aggressive faith to me. Faith that goes after God and everything he has for us. Tenacious faith. Persistent faith. Shameless faith. Aggressive faith. Not polite Christianity, not middle class niceties, not religious traditions. No, a faith that goes after the heart and hand of God and our community because faith moves the heart and hand of God. 
And it doesn't matter who stands in the way or what stands in the way. You need to have a, a, a determination. I'm not going home till I get what I came for. A faith like this woman that says, I am not waiting for Jesus to touch me because that might never happen. I'm pushing through and I'm touching him. Let's finish up. Verse 29, it says, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that something had changed. Immediately, immediately she touches Jesus and immediately she knows inside that her bleeding has stopped. At once, I love the way Mark's gospel is immediately, at once, he's not wasting time, at once, Jesus realized, this is the verse, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? She touches him and at once, instantly, the second her hand makes contact with his robe, she is healed. She feels something happen inside her. It was an internal bleeding. But you know when you just know that something has shifted inside you? You know that you, you just know that God has done something inside you. You know that something's different. She has that moment where she just knows that something has changed. But Jesus also knows that something has happened. Look at what it says. Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. This verse freaks out some conservative theologians. And rightly so. But it's here. The second her hand makes contact with Jesus, something flows from Jesus and it flows into her and her bleeding stops. Instantly. Just like that. Through her persistent, tenacious, bold, aggressive faith, she made a withdrawal of spiritual power and healing from Jesus. Something went out of him and went into her. Her faith drew on his anointing. He hadn't planned it. He hadn't expected it. It wasn't on his itinerary, but it happened. It wasn't intentional on his part, but it was intentional on her part. And it says he stopped and turned around. I love that. Don't forget, he's going somewhere. There's an urgency. He's going with Jairus and Jairus' 12-year-old daughter is dying and yet he stops and he turns around and he says, who touched me? Who touched me? And the disciples look at him and they look at the crowd and go, like, it's almost like they're going like, are you crazy, Jesus? Look at all these people. Everyone's touching you. But he says, no, there might be a hundred people touching me, but only one person touched me with aggressive faith. Only one person touched me in a way that withdrew power from me. Who touched me? Because there's a difference between touching and touching. It's the difference between talking to your spouse and talking to your spouse. You see, you can say, well, I talk to my wife or my husband every day of the week. Talk about work, talk about the kids, talk, you know, talk about what's on Netflix. But then you go out for a dinner or you go for coffee, you go for a long walk and you talk. Do you understand what I mean? There's talking and there's talking. There's people touching Jesus and there's one woman touching Jesus. And as she touched him, she pulled the power out of him into herself and she was completely healed. 
They all touched Jesus, but her aggressive faith pulled something out of him. And I've seen it so many times. I see it in a room like this. I'm finishing now. Where we can have 200 people in a room like this, and you're all singing the songs, and you're all in the presence of God. And sometimes it will be sovereign and God touching you. Sometimes it will be about how much you reach out to touch him. It will be about how determined you are. I am going to enter God's presence. I am going to get what I came here for today. I am going to press in. I'm not going to be half-hearted. I'm not going to be passive. I am going to press in and I'm going to get what I need from God here today. And if I don't get it today, I'm going to come back tomorrow. And I'm going to come back again. And I'm going to come back again. And I'm going to come back again. Because I am not giving up until I get what I came for. What story do I finish on? I've got four stories. I have two stories where I've seen this happen. One where I preached in the Causeway Coast Vineyard in 2016. And I preached on this passage. And as in the middle of preaching it, I stop and I just say this. And there's somebody in this room, there's a young lady in this room who has this bleeding condition. And right now God's healing you. And then I keep moving on with the sermon and I never think about it again until six months later I'm walking through the streets of Port Stewart and I'm at the top of the town where the Church of Ireland is and walking down the hill a mother and a daughter's across the road the mother shouts Craig, Craig my daughter's something to tell you the daughter comes across the mom says it's a bit embarrassing but and she says I know what I want to tell you Craig the daughter's about 21, 22 she says I have been bleeding for two years and it was exhausting me. It was taking its toll on me. It was just getting wearing. The doctors could do nothing. Nobody could figure out what it was. And she said, I was in the meeting that night. And the moment you said that, the bleeding stopped. And six months later, it has never come back. She was in the room. She took hold of the word of God. And she claimed it for herself. And she wanted to wait six months before she told me, just to make sure, to be sure, to be sure. Another Sunday I'm preaching there. And I'm coming to the end of my sermon. Actually, this was 2015, before we were even working there. I'm coming to the end of my sermon. Actually, let me tell you. I was asked to do a wedding a few years ago by a couple called Judith and Johnny. And I didn't really know them that well, and I kind of thought. But they were incredibly persistent that I marry them. I thought they were a lovely couple and I, I kind of had said I would do it. In the, and so I agreed to, to do the wedding. And, and I still couldn't really understand why they were so persistent that I do it. And we went through the ceremony and it was lovely. It was up in Bangor. And, 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 and afterwards I was about to leave. I told them I, I couldn't go to the reception, which means I don't want to go to the reception. Um, anybody who I do a wedding for will know I tell them that up front. Um, I love weddings, receptions. No. Um, and, and, and I'm about to leave and they come out to me, they're getting their photographs, but they rush away from the photographer and they say, Craig, Craig, thank you for doing our service. And I said, no problem, it was a joy. They said, I'm sure you wondered why we were so determined that you do our wedding. I said, well, it was a wee bit. They said, in 2015, you preached in the Causeway Coast Vineyard. And as you came to the end of your message, you looked across the room and you said, and there's a 36-year-old girl in this room who's single. She's about to give up on meeting somebody. And I want to tell you in the next year you're going to meet your husband. And she said, I was sitting there. I was 36 years old. I was fed up with dating. I was about to give up. But when you said that, something within me rose up. And she said, I literally put up my hat and grabbed that. And she said, three months went by and I didn't meet anybody. 
Six months went by. Nine months went by. Nobody. Ten months, I met Johnny. And here we are getting married today. There was a thousand people in that room that day. But she heard the word of the Lord. She took it as a promise for her life. And she had aggressive faith that she did not let go of until she saw what she came for. Hope Church, may we be a people of aggressive faith. May we shake off passivity. May we shake off lukewarmness. May we shake off that effort, that religiosity that sounds spiritual but is actually just anemic and impotent and doesn't change anything. And may we be a people who say, I'm going after Jesus. I am going after all he has for me. I am pursuing him. I'm pushing through obstacles. I'm pressing through opposition. And come what may, I am going to get what I came for. Because he is my goal. He is my focus. He is my mission. And he is so, so good.